Genesis 14. Genesis 14. So we're going to do the first, probably about the first 16 verses here tonight. Once again, it would have been great to do the whole chapter at one, but time does not permit. Part of the fun of Wednesday nights is we get to do stuff that we would not normally typically do on a Sunday. If we were teaching through Genesis on Sunday, we would teach Genesis 14 totally different. If you've ever studied out the Old Testament, we are introduced to one of the most fascinating characters in the entire Bible in verses 18 through 24 is Melchizedek. And if you've ever studied this out before, who Melchizedek is in verses 18 through 24 is an absolutely fascinating study. And we will get into that next week because we don't have time to do that. What we end with today is the king of Sodom and the king of Salem, Melchizedek, and what a compare and contrast. So if you're not familiar with who Melchizedek is, I highly encourage you, make sure you can come next week or listen to it online and grab a CD because it's an amazing study that of who Melchizedek is. So we'll get to him next week. But to get to that point, we need to do the first 17 verses. I will tell you this. The first 11 verses of chapter 14 are some of the most difficult verses to understand in the entire Bible. Not because it's deep theologically, because these people's names make absolutely no sense in any way whatsoever. And you know my rule of reading Old Testament names. As long as you say it with confidence, no one will ever question you. So I'm telling you right now, I have no clue how to say three-fourths of these names But I'm just going to stand with confidence and you'll think I'm intelligent. So, with that being said, these verses are difficult to grasp. So I'm going to tell you what's going on before we get into what's going on. Dustin, if you don't mind putting that first uh, slide up there. It's kind of hard to see, but what this is going on... I'm going to kill these lights up here. Maybe that would help a little bit. What's going on is this. Those kings in the red... There's four kings over there. They're the ones that are in power. They're having power over these four kings in the green over here. The four kings in the green are paying money to them for tribute. For 12 years, they're under their rule. and the 13th year, they rebel. So for the first 11 verses is this little history lesson, if you will, of what's going on. So we're going to leave that map up there. Just basically know this. Four kings in the red are going to come over where the four, five kings in the green are, and they're going to fight. With that being said, verse 1, it said, It came to pass in the days of Armaphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elziar, Chalamar, king of Elam, and Tedal, king of nations. Those are your kings right over there. That they made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Admah, Shebner, king of Zebulun, and the king of Bela, that is Zor. And those would be your kings in the green. So verse 1 is your kings in red. Verse 2 are your kings in green. What's going to happen? These joined together in the valley of Siddam, that is the Salt Sea. Three, that would be right where the Dead Sea is. And the reason this is important, because right where the Dead Sea is, is right where Abraham's at, is right where Jerusalem is. This is where that battle is going to happen. What's going on? Verse 4, 12 years they've served Chedlamar, and the 13th year they rebelled. For 12 years they served the one king in the red, and what happens is the 13th year they're now rebelling. Well, verse 5, in the 14th year, Chedlamar and the kings that were with him came and attacked the Rephium and Ashtoreth, Carnium, the Zulam and Ham, the Em and Sheva and Carathon, and the Horites in their mountains of Seir, as far as Palaron, which is by the wilderness. They turned back and came to Enmas, that's Kadesh, and they attacked the country of the Amalekites, and also the Amorites who dwelled in Hazan Tamar. Now, you have no idea what I just said, and I have no idea what I just said, but this is what happened. 
The guys over here in the red are coming in. They're going to attack the kings in the green. And if you can see in white, and it's hard to see on this map, by the time they get to the people in green, they fight all these other people. Ashtoreths, Ham, Shevelas, etc. What they're basically doing is coming over and then heading down south. And anybody in their way, they're just destroying And they're coming to these people in the green that have rebelled against them. And so what happens now in verse 8, the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Admah, the king of Zebulun, and the king of Bela, those are people in green, that is Zorah, went out and joined together in the battle of the valley of Siddim. They decide, let's fight this out. We're tired of being ruled by you. We're rebelling against you. So you're coming to fight us. So let's fight right here and let's get this figured out. So they come in verse 9, and they fight against Chedlamar, the king of Elam, tell all the king of nations, Armphal, king of Shinar, and Ariach, king of Elziar, four kings against five. See, now, isn't this interesting about the Bible? Doesn't verse 9, four kings against five, couldn't they just said that from the beginning? But they don't for some reason. Sums it up so nicely, four kings against five. Verse 10, now the valley of Siddam was full of asphalt pits. Stop right there. Depending on your translation, some of your translations say asphalt pits, some of your translations say tar pits. My personal favorite is some of your translations say what? Slime pits. I love it. If you ever want to win a $10 bet at a bar, bet somebody that the word slime pits is in the Bible, and you will win that. Slime pits. What these are are what exactly what it says. These are tar pits. And so what has happened is while this battle is going on and this battle is raging, people are getting stuck in this tar pit, this slime pit that's happening here. So as this is going on right here, verse 10, the valley of Saddam was full of asphalt pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled. The green kings lost. Some fell there, and the remainder fled to the mountains. They took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their provisions and went their way. So basically 11 verses just to tell us, the red kings ruled the green kings. The green kings rebelled. The red kings came over, defeated the green kings one more time, and completely ravaged the land and stripped them and took them of everything. And by the way, there's these asphalt pits. The Bible never puts anything in there for no reason. There's always a reason for this. Always a reason for this. This chapter, if you ever want to talk about how real the Bible is, I just encourage you, Go home one time and just look up Genesis 14, archaeology. The reason God, thousands of years ago, put all these names in here is because these guys have all been found. So when people sit here and start talking about, is the Bible real? These are real people, real kings that secular history backs up. And they found out about all these things. And it's a fascinating, fascinating study. So I think part of the reason why God kept repeating these names again and again and again, is we have a tendency in some of these chapters sometimes in the Bible to start thinking these are just fun little stories. These are real people, real locations, all on the map, real battles that history has proven. Now these asphalt pits, these tar pits that are brought up, why would God throw that little point in there? Now we don't know for sure, but once again, God doesn't throw things in there for no reason. We know in Genesis 19, this exact area is about to get what? Completely and utterly torched. Completely and utterly torched. Because this is the area of, what did we say? Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, is God giving us a little hint here on part of the reason why did this whole area go up in flames? These asphalt pits, these tar pits, this flammable substance. Now, what the Lord brought his fire of judgment down upon it, part of the reason why this area does not even exist anymore, is completely obliterated, is because the Lord had the fuel already sitting there for the fire. 
You always got to look. And as you're reading the Bible, and this is what I absolutely love. When you read, and if you're reading good old King James and you see a word like slime pit, I think that's its way of saying, why don't you you take note of that for a second? Or asphalt pit or tar pit. So the first 11 verses is basically setting up this battle that has happened. Now, we get to the reason of the battle. There is a reason for this. But we need to stop here for one second and just ask, does anybody have any quick questions, comments about the actual physical history battle here that happened? Didn't think you guys would. Now, what in the world does this matter? Well, verse 12 is what matters. They also took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. God gave us 11 verses of background to remind us Lot was one of the captives. This is how the story now affects us. This is why the story is important to us, because Lot was one of the captives that was taken. Verse 13, Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, the Amorite brother of Eshcol and the brother of Aner, and they were allies with Abram. So now Abram gets brought into this. If you're taking notes and you like this type of history, if you want to know right there in um, verse 13, this is the first time the word Hebrew is ever mentioned in the Bible where Abram is actually called a Hebrew. A lot of people believe it comes from one of Abram's ancestors by the name of Eber, E-B-E-R. And the word Hebrew literally means like across the water, across the river. And it kind of shows that when they were calling them a Hebrew, they were basically telling them that they were almost, if you would, an immigrant in some ways. So this is the first time the word Hebrew is mentioned in the Bible to describe Abram. Well, what happens, verse 14, when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive... He armed his 318 trained servants who were born in his own house and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Don't underestimate verse 14. 318 trained servants. Think about this for a second. 318 trained servants. Abram had his personal own militia. This guy's powerful. This guy was very powerful. So much so that he had 318 people that could fight. So if he had 318 people that could fight, I think there's a safe assumption to say there was a lot of people that were too old to fight, too young to fight. I think we can make a pretty safe assumption that these were men that were going out to battle. So you have just as equal amount of women. I think you can make a pretty safe assumption here that Abram probably had close to maybe, what, 2,000 servants? 2,000 servants? And these servants were not just servants, verse 14. These were ones that were born in his own house. He's not out collecting people. These are people that were born from the people that he had. Now, once again, why is this an important piece of information? Well, let's keep reading here to find out. He divided his forces, verse 15 again, against them by night, and he and his servants attacked them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. Can you go to the next slide here real quick here, guys? This kind of just shows exactly what happened. The one arrow coming down that comes through Ham, that's the red kings that came down and defeated, and you can see what they did. And then what happened here on the other side, you can see Abraham went up to the area of Dan. So you can see how far they went. They came down to the bottom of the Salt Sea, the Dead Sea. They captured, defeated Sodom and Gomorrah, took Lot captive, went back up to Dan. And then what happened here is Abram took his army up and went up there to fight them at the area of Dan. You can go ahead and leave that slide up for a while. Verse 16, he brought back all the goods and brought back his brother Lot and his goods as well as the women and the people. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley, after his return from the defeat of Chedorah and the kings that were with him. Let's stop there for a second. I don't mean to make a joke out of this, but we've been doing this study now for 10 minutes. We've read 17 verses. And basically what you know is this. 
four kings, defeated five kings. Abraham was taken captive, now Abraham's back. Excuse me, Lot was taken captive, now Abraham has got him back, and that's the end of 17 verses. Why in the world did we come out on a freezing cold Wednesday night to talk about history lesson? That's the background. You know the background. What's the spiritual application of this? Because God put this in for a reason. Now the setup is King of Sodom, Melchizedek. But we're going to get to that next week. There's still a spiritual application for this. If you would, would you please turn with me to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. I love, love studying the Bible. And I love when I get to a passage like Genesis 14, and I read those first 17 verses, and I say, Lord, I got nothing out of this. Nothing. Because to me, in my mind, as you're going to James 5, there is a challenge going on. Lord, why did you put these 17 verses in the Bible? Why are we repeating these names that we honestly don't care about? These locations that we honestly don't care about? This battle that we honestly don't care about. Lord, what's it in here for? Oh, yeah, we can make the fun little points. Well, look, did you see slime pits? We got to talk about slime pits. Okay, that's fun. Okay, but yet we also can talk about, well, those slime pits could have been used in Genesis 19 for the direction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, yeah, that's kind of a neat point. Well, archaeology has backed this up. So now there's this evidence of the Bible being real. Okay, well, that's nice too. But Lord, there's got to be a spiritual point. Spiritual point. This is the spiritual point I got out of it. James 5, verse 19. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. This is my spiritual point that I want to bring out of this. Lot is not worth it. He's not. Lot is a burden. Lot is a problem. Lot has been a problem since day one. We've studied Lot now for a few weeks. Lot was never supposed to come with Abraham. If you remember our first studies on Abraham, he wasn't supposed to. Abraham was supposed to leave his family behind, but he brought Lot with him. So right there, Lot was already baggage that Abraham shouldn't have been carrying. We talked a couple weeks ago about how Lot's servants were so many, Abraham's servants were so many. We can make a conservative estimate that Abraham had at least 2,000 servants, plus all his, his animals and everything. Lot's group became argumentative with Abraham's group. So right there, Lot became an issue again. He shouldn't have been there. So then Abraham said, Lot, you can choose wherever you want to go. And remember what Lot chose? Lot chose to go to Sodom. And we talked about how Lot chose the plane of emptiness, is what the word meant, while Abraham chose the plane of strength. So Lot shouldn't have come along in the first place. Lot was baggage that Abraham had to carry. Lot got in the way of God's calling, because as soon as Lot left, if you still have your hand here in Genesis, remember what we just went through a couple weeks ago. As soon as... As soon as Lot left, look what happened here. Verse 11 of Genesis 13. Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east. They separated. Verse 12, Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan. Lot pitched his tent in Sodom. Verse 13, the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked. See, God is setting us up again, because we know what happens in Genesis 19. But look, as soon as Lot left, verse 14, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, we are called to love all people. We are called to show the love of Jesus to every person we possibly can. Sometimes, though, you have friends, you have relatives 
that you would do a whole lot better with when you separate from them. You will will do better. Now that almost sounds like it goes against Christianity. But sometimes you have a lot in your life that it's really not good. As soon as Lot separated from Abraham, God started speaking to Abraham and said, okay, now we can go to phase two. You finally got rid of the baggage. Now, is Lot a bad guy? No. According to Peter, the Bible calls him righteous Lot. We're going to see Lot up in heaven. Lot made the cut. The Bible says that he lived in Sodom, and Sodom was extremely wicked. It was extremely awful. And the Bible says that, that Lot's soul was, was tortured was tortured by this. The Bible says this, Righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man, dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. So Righteous Lot, and notice this, he's called Righteous Lot once in 2 Peter 2.7, he's called Righteous twice in 2 Peter 2.8. He lived in a Sodom, which is the worst place you could live. He was tormented by their sin. Now, here's a couple questions we've got to ask about Lot. If the sin bothered him so much, why did he stay in it? That's one question we've got to ask. Number two, does anybody remember what happens to Lot after Sodom and Gomorrah? His wife and his daughters escape. Excuse me. His wife, his daughters, and him try to escape Sodom and Gomorrah. His wife looks back, and she is judged, turns into a pillar of salt. We'll get to this in Genesis 19. So what now what's left is Lot and his two daughters. And if you remember what happens, they escape to the cave. The daughters have convinced themselves that the whole world is completely destroyed. So Lot's the only man left. So their great idea is, let's get dad drunk, then let's sleep with him. So that way we can at least have a child. So let's just describe Lot. Lot shouldn't have come with Abraham. He was baggage. Lot chose to live in the most sinful, disgusting place you can ever imagine in the world. Lot gets himself drunk. Sleeps has an ancestral relationship with his two daughters, and that's Lot. (laughs) And then in the New Testament, he's called righteous three times. Do you not see a problem with this? You know, I'm not one to say who should be in and who should be out, but I'm pretty sure just by my guess, Lot shouldn't have made the cut. But he made the cut. He's righteous Lot. He was tormented by living in Sodom and Gomorrah. So what in the world does this have to do with five kings attacking four kings in rebellion? And what does this have to do with James chapter 5? This is what it has to do with. All of you have a lot in your life, and it really kind of annoys you. They jump right back into the pig slop again and again. And then when you talk to them, they confess Christ. They, they believe in Jesus, and, and, and they want to do what's right, but yet they live in Sodom. And then there's times where they make the stupidest choices you've ever seen in your life. And somebody from the outside says, they're saved? And you would say, well, I, I can't defend what they're doing right now, but yeah. I mean, they, they really do love Jesus. They really do believe. Well, if they love Jesus, what are they doing I mean, do you guys know a lot? No pun. I know a lot of lots. God love you. There may be a lot here tonight. Maybe at one time in your life, you were the lot. You decided to pitch your tit in Sodom. You decided to be in the filth of the world. But there was still something in you that you were tormented by those lifestyle choices. You were so bothered by that. And... and It ate you up inside, and that's not who you wanted to be. 
That's not the person you wanted to be. That's not how you wanted to live. And God miraculously saved your life numerous times. I mean, what happens here is Abram has to go save Lot this time. Guess in Genesis 19, Abram has to go save Lot again. I mean, don't you think it reached a point where Abraham wanted to say, Lot, you're on your own, man. I mean, seriously, there's been times out here at church where it's like, okay, I've bailed you out of jail. I've gone over to your house at 2 o'clock in the morning. I've taken your phone call at 3 o'clock in the morning. And I've heard you promise me so many times how this time it's different. Okay, when are you just going to go back to the vomit again? Because it's just going to happen. And so, I mean, let's just be honest. If you could go back in time, would you take your 318 trained men to go rescue Lot? I mean, that was his fault, right? He decided to live in Sodom. I mean, wasn't that his fault? I mean, isn't that what we do as Christians? We rationalize things like that. Well, that's their choice. I mean, come on, they knew it was wrong, and they chose to go down that path. That's how they chose to live their life. So, therefore, that's the consequences of their actions. And we have this righteousness about us where we stop and say, Hey, I told them not to. Are you willing to get your 318 trained servants and go put your own butt on the line to go save this guy? Because this is what it's talking about right here in James chapter 5. Brethren, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. For some reason, when we see somebody go live in Sodom, we throw our hands up in the air and say, no longer my responsibility. Sometimes the Lord is telling you to go into Sodom. Sometimes the Lord is saying, you go in there and you help bring that person out of that. Now, the problem with this teaching is some people hear stuff like that and their first thing they say is, well, that's a choice they made. I agree it's a choice they made. I agree that they have sometimes chosen to go in there. But the thing is with Lot, he was a person that was righteous. And, and he was righteous three times. I would be happy if God called me righteous once in the Bible. He called Lot righteous three times. Once again, the guy that had an ancestral relationship with his daughters after being drunk. He's righteous. Go with me to Galatians, please. Galatians chapter 6. See, here's the problem. We, we think as Christians by... What's the word I'm looking for? Not associating, not hanging out, but even sometimes by talking to someone in that position, it's almost like we feel like we're okaying their lifestyle. Jesus did not okay adultery when the woman who was caught in adultery and he said, go and sin no more. Jesus wasn't saying leprosy was good when he went out and touched the lepers. Jesus wasn't saying, hey, tax collecting is great when he had Matthew come serve with him. He was willing to go where the sinners are. Look at Galatians 6 verse 1. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, any sin, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Guys, I'm telling you right now, as a body of Christ throughout the whole world, we fail Galatians 6.1. You know why? We say it like this. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, judge them. That's what we do. What happened to restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness? We lose gentleness when somebody sins. We do. We lose gentleness. I, I was just joking with someone today, and I, I can't remember who it was, that some Christians still like to carry stones in their pocket. Just in case God gives them an opportunity to throw it at somebody. Just in case. We like legalism. We like stoning. We like to bring those things back. And I look at a verse right here in verse 1. I'm supposed to try to restore such a person in a spirit of gentleness. 
Now, some of you may be saying, okay, there's also verses that says don't throw pearls to swine and all this other type of stuff. Listen, guys, I understand that completely. There are times where you have to step back like the prodigal son and just say they chose to live in the pig slop. And since they chose to live in the pig slop, I wait till they choose to come out of it. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Luke 16, where speaking of the prodigal son, it says that he came to his senses. Sometimes you have a lot in your life and you're called to get your 318 servants and go out and fight for that person to bring them back to safety. Sometimes you're called to say, I just need to stop and let them sit in the pig slop for a while. Now, the question that everybody asks is, how do you know which one it is? Then I can't answer that question. Because I can only tell you as a pastor, there's times where talking to Dawn, I'll say, I'm going to go meet with so-and-so. And she'll say, again? I'll say, yeah. And she'll say, do you really think this time it's going to work? And I'll say, I don't know. I'm called to go do it. I know I'm called to go do it. So I'm going to go to Sodom. I'm going to go in the pig slop. I hope none of it gets on me. And I'm going to go try to help that person out. Then what will happen is the same person will contact later. And Don will say, who was that? And I'll say, it was so-and-so. She'll say, are you going to go meet with him again? And I'll say, no, not this time. And she's like, oh, well, now, now you're not showing grace. You know, Don's always legalistic. So anyway, you can't win. And I understand in my heart sometimes I can't win. I sometimes can't verbalize. Why is it time to get the servants to go rescue them? And why is it sometimes to let them sit in the pig slop? Sometimes I can't verbalize it. And I'm not trying to sound ultra-spiritual here. But in my heart, I know that's what I need to do. I, I know I need to go meet with them. Nope, this time I know I need to let them go. We, we all have lots in our life. And sometimes God is calling you, get the army, go rescue him. And guess what happens when you rescue him? He goes back and guess where he lives again? Sodom. And guess what happens in just a few short chapters? God says, I'm going to judge Sodom. And now you're saying, Lord, don't judge Sodom. That's where Lot's at. But that's the heart of Abraham. There's other times where it's like, you know what? Did you hear what so-and-so is doing? He's in the pig slop. And I've honestly thought in my heart, that's probably the best place for him. Let them be in the pig slop for a while. Let them learn that. So basically, here's the lesson tonight. The first 17 verses of this chapter describes four kings versus five kings in rebellion and all that other type of stuff. And to be quite honest, we don't care. But it's important. Why is it important? It's important because it really sets the scene for what's going to happen with Sodom and Gomorrah here in just a few short chapters. Plus Lot. Lot is thrown right in the middle of it. That then brings the spiritual point to say, okay, am I willing to get my servants around to go save somebody? Am I willing to go do that? Abraham was. Abraham was doing James 5. Abraham was doing Galatians 6. He was willing to go do that. And that's what Abraham was willing to do. Now, there are also times, too, where we need to say we need to step back and say that person may need to learn the hard way. And the Lord will give wisdom. I firmly do believe that. But I guess the point of tonight's lesson is this. If you have somebody in your life and you love them and you care for them, but just to be completely honest, you've reached a complete, utter frustration with them. They keep going back to Sodom. God may be telling you, Go and get him again. How many times do I need to get him out of Sodom? I don't know. But I want to be doing Galatians 6.1. I want to be doing James 5. 
And as the Lord says, go, I'm going to go. I want to restore them in a spirit of gentleness. I want to save them from the error of sin. I want to be on that side of grace at this point. Now, there may be another time the Lord says, let them go. But the point of tonight's lesson, tonight's lesson, is are we willing to go save Lot? Righteous Lot. I want to repeat that one more time. If you don't believe me, go read Second Peter. Righteous Lot. How could that guy be righteous? Let's just look at ourselves in the spiritual mirror for a second. I know the thoughts that have gone through my head. I know the thoughts that have gone through my head in the last hour. Lord, I'm not righteous, but through Jesus Christ I am. Lot had baggage. He made stupid choices. This guy is not an example of much of anything. But his soul was tormented by sin where he lived. Now some of you are thinking, well, of course his soul was tormented by sin. He chose to live in Sodom. He did. And Abraham tried to get him out of it. So if you have a lot in your life, let's not let frustration, let's not anger, let not bitterness, let's not let those things build up in us. Let's stop and say, okay, Lord, how have you called me to go in there to help them? If they're willing to listen, I'm willing to get them out. But I want to be obedient in those passages. And that's what I see in Genesis 14. Yeah, I see the whole history of kings battling kings and all this other type of stuff. And I think that is important. But ultimately what I see is Abram saying, okay, I'll go into battle to save this guy. And I sometimes wonder as Christians, are we willing to go into battle to save somebody? Maybe that's what we need to chew on here for a little bit. Next week we're going to get into Abram and Melchizedek and, and the king of Sodom. It's going to be a great study and I hope you can make it out for that. Anybody have any final questions, comments here about Lot and just the restoring them in a spirit of gentleness and just helping somebody who chooses to live in Sodom? Anybody have any final questions, comments? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, wisdom. What a simple prayer, wisdom. Sometimes we don't know if you're calling us to go gather the army and fight for them. Sometimes we don't know if you're telling us to let them stay in the pig slot. You reveal that to us. Lord, help us to put our personal feelings, legalisms, emotions, decisions to the side and just be obedient. Just to be obedient, Lord, to what you've called us to do. If you've called us to go into the battle to save them, then we want to go in in your honor and your glory. If you told us to step back, then Lord, we'll step back and just let them learn the hard way. But we want to be obedient to you. And for those lots out there, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that their heart stops, looks around, and says, this is not the life I want. Reveal to them, reveal to them, Lord, what a true relationship with you is. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. All right, you guys have a good week and God bless.